This is episode 26 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. I'm two weeks away from my Extraordinary Women Ignite 2018 event. It's been such a beautiful full week this week, dotting all the I's and crossing the T's and all the details that lead up to an event like this. I actually truly love to do events like this, and I'm super excited about this event. When I look down the list of women who are attending Ignite, there's going to be some really big, bold moves coming out of those couple days. There's some women that are going to be taking some really big steps. There's women launching new businesses or opening whole new market segments. Some are writing books. Others are building a global platform on which to speak and be seen and be heard on topics that they're really passionate about. Others are moving up in their corporate jobs. And others are going to are looking at ways they might take that leap in 2018 and, and leap out of the corporate field into something new. It truly is an extraordinary room full of women. And if you're wanting to tap into some of the manifestation power of Ignite for your own journey in 2018, you know, you can still join us. It's going to be an amazing two days on November 2nd and 3rd in Golden, Colorado. And it's all about lighting up what you want to make happen in 2018. And if you're listening to this podcast before October 22nd, be sure to jump out to my website at camigelner.com and grab the early bird discount that gives you, a, gives you 50% off the ticket price. And because I love you guys, even after October 22nd, you can still get a $200 off the investment for Ignite by using the promotional code, code podcast, all lowercase. I'm not sharing this code anywhere else except with all of you my dear listeners. It's a way that I can say thank you for being a great follower of Extraordinary Women Radio and for tuning in to all the inspiring women that I get to interview here. And today is a really special interview. For nothing gives me more joy than being a part of my client's success journey. When they discover their purpose, how they're meant to matter in the world, and then take the leap to go on and to launch and build a successful business doing work they love. I'm thrilled to host Rita Davisee, a longtime client of mine and the founder and CEO of Davisee, a mindfulness-based leadership training company. So Rita is a leading expert in her field, and she helps executives incorporate mindfulness into how they live and how they lead. She teaches business leaders to create space for awareness, you know, that pause, that slowing down, that sharpens their leadership of both people and organizations. And as someone who has personally benefited from Rita's work in mindfulness, she has shared her teaching with me over the years, and I know what a difference a mindfulness practice can make in my own life. Rita taught me to meditate. And that was something that I thought I would never do. I used to say to myself, I'm, I don't know, I don't meditate. I can't get my mind to slow down. And more importantly, has she taught me not, she's taught me how to meditate, but she's taught me how to practice mindfulness when life gets really crazy in the heat of the moment. 
So this is a great week, a great example of that where I'm, I'm leading up to this event. There's so much to do. And I have taken time and space to meditate. And what I know is that it makes me more productive. If on the days that I skip that meditation, I don't have that same intention, that same focus, that same um, just connection to um, the universe, perhaps, that, that lets me know what it is I need to know, lets me write things in a better way, lets my creativity shine. It's just a, a wonderful thing when I make that space and how that can impact my day. So when I first met Rita several years ago, before she had launched Davis Seed, she was already a successful leader in the world of communications and tech. And as she rose through the ranks in her company, she realized that her meditation practice that she'd done most of her life significantly contributed to her success in her day-to-day -day life as a leader. In fact, people were coming to her often, um, looking to her as a leader to help them move through some of the frustrations that they've they felt in their, their jobs and their roles. And she just provided this grounded force to help people in the, the crazy communication styles and the male dominated cultures in which they worked. And she felt really called to share this gift of who she is, this knowledge, this wisdom that she has at a, at a very deep soul level in a bigger way. And thus her company Davis Seed would, was born. So today Rita, will share what she's learned through her many life transitions that she's journeyed through, including leaving her home country of India when she came to the U.S., to finding her way into the field of tech as a woman, and eventually starting her own company. She also shares some great insights into how you can be more mindful in your life. I couldn't be more pleased to introduce you to my friend, Rita Davisi of Davis Seed. And that's www.devaseed.com. So let's meet Rita. Welcome, Rita. Well, thank you, Cammie, for this really beautiful opportunity. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, this conversation I was going to have with you, I was thinking, how lucky am I to be able to spend time with you? And if only every human being could have that opportunity. Oh, you're so sweet. You're so very, very sweet. <laughs> so I know your story so well, because I've been honored to be a part of your journey as your coach who took you from that transition of that, that women, woman leader in tech and to launch in your business, Davis Seed. And I'm just yeah, honored and, to have you. Oh, thank you. And, you know, thank you for um, really opening up these possibilities, which I feel, um, had I not met you, would probably have just remained dormant somewhere. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I think there was a big seed that was already there and was ready to be birthed, but I, I, I'm but it, honored yeah. to have you as part of my journey. I really am. I think your work is just so important right now. And, you know, just this time, it's, it's, it's mindfulness is such an important topic for all of us. And I'm honored and blessed to say that you've been my teacher in the world of mindfulness. And you really taught me how to be in the flow, to start my days with meditation, which is if you would have asked me about meditating a few years ago, I would have said, hey, you're crazy. I, my mind doesn't <laughs> shut down enough to, to meditate. Um, but you've really helped me find a space that works for me to tune in, to listen. And I think it's even more important as, as a life of, of a busy entrepreneur. It's like, 
we were just talking about before we jumped on the call, how busy we can get as entrepreneurs. Um, but Rita's presence helps me drop into such a peaceful state. And I'm really thrilled to share this wisdom with all of the, the listeners today. Um, I think this is a wisdom that we can all tune into, listen to, and, you know, just fill into Rita's energy today. So let's just really dive in. So I have heard you say, Rita, that I'm an Indian-born, Catholic-raised, plant-eating, non-childbearing, 20-year corporate manager, woman in tech turned mindfulness coach. And I, that when, when, I, when I heard you say that, I just, I just giggled. Right, and I giggled all over. And you've been incredibly insightful knowing yourself, listening to yourself. How does this shape who you are today and the work that you're delivering out into the world? Mm. So, you know, from, for as long as I can remember, I have always been very contemplative and introspective. And I think a lot of it was because I was just a very introverted um, girl growing up. And I just found myself watching and observing exactly what else, what else was going on around me rather than actually jumping into um, you know, conversations or um, interactions with people. And so recently when I was, you know, trying to um, prepare for a talk and I was asking myself, how do I condense who I am, you know, into something really brief, which, you know, as you kind of said that out loud, I'm like, wow, that's a mouthful. But it's, it's you know, I wanted to come up with something that conveyed who is Rita and I came up with that statement, and um, that statement is very focused on the surface assessment of who Rita is. And you know, granted, it's very telling, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know, it's even a bit amusing. But if I broke apart, you know, each element that you mentioned, you know, whether it's being Indian, Catholic, plant eater, non-childbearing, each of those elements, there is such a depth of um, experience and knowledge and learning that went into each of those pieces. And essentially it's, it's really my life that I right. kind of condensed into that statement. Right. And so, you know, what I, what I know for a fact is that there is more to Rita than what meets the eye. Right. Mm -hmm. And that there's more to my life than making my way, you know, just kind of mechanically waking my way through, through life. And so the truth is, though, that's true for every single one of us, right? That there's so much more to each of us than what we actually see, as, as well as, you know, the, the, the wealth of experience that's awaiting each one of us is just tremendous, if, if we're awake to it, and if we're paying attention to it. And so that's the perspective, you know, that shaped um, who I feel I, I am today and even how I view who I am today and how I live my life. And it's this, this, this almost this desire to go deeper every chance I get because that's where I feel all the treasures are. And, you know, a lot of my life in, in the last, I would say, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, you know, I've been in environments where, we're not really encouraged to go deeper. Um, we're, we're encouraged to stay on the surface because it's, it's safer. It's, um, 
safer from what perspective, I don't know exactly, but it just, right. that's what we're encouraged it's to perception. do, right? The perception of safety. <clears throat> exactly, exactly. So that's, you know, that's been th this, this journey that I think started for me when I was very young and, you know, my dad meditated. And so I watched that from a very young age and um, this, this introverted kind of um, person that I feel I was also contributed to it. But it's also what what shaped, you know, how I view life and how I view who I am. And it's made its way into my work just so very naturally. Um, you know, it's what my clients do today is they when you know, when we're working together, they're paying attention to what are they experiencing in life and um, using the very experience that they're going through to really pay attention to their thinking and their behavior and their, you know, the choices that they're making, because it, if you start paying attention to those things, it really provides insight into how you can approach your work, how you can approach your family life, um, how you can blend all the aspects of your life in a way that feels aligned for you. Mm -hmm. um, and there's this quote, you know, Socrates uh, said, the only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing <laughs> and so <laughs> Isn't that and it's truth? a little hard to yeah it's a little hard to stomach but i feel like that's what propels me because there's so much to discover and so much to know and it's beyond even what you see outside in your world there's this whole world inside that is just as exciting <laughs> and so you know that's that's kind of how it's made its way into my not just my personal life but also into my work right Right. So when you look at, just just pick one of these. So I am Indian born. What's mm. the deep story there that shapes the work that you do today? Yeah, I, I probably, you know, many different aspects of whether um, it's, you know, mindfulness obviously is rooted in, you know, Eastern um, tradition. And while I didn't learn that growing up, I was in the environment where this was part of how people lived. And so I think from a very early age that the aspect of meditation was always very uh, welcoming to me. I never looked at looked upon it as, oh, you know, Buddhists practice that and therefore I shouldn't have anything to do with it. So it was very, it was always available to me. I think that's one aspect of it. The mm -hmm. other aspect is, you know, the, the traditions that I grew up in. Um, I grew up in a um, family of three girls and we had a relatively traditional Indian life. You know, I was born in, in Chennai, which is a city in the uh, southern tip of India. It's on the eastern coast. And Essentially, we, I mean, I, I went to a convent school. I thought I was going to be a nun when I was a teenager. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are the things that I, and, and one would not necessarily equate that to being, um, being an Indian, but that right. was my experience, right? And I think right. that kind of goes to the point of, um, I'm Indian born, but there's so many diverse experiences that I've had that some traditional and others not so traditional. Right. I mean, you start to weave that in your corporate manager, being the corporate manager for 20 years, how that shapes. That's one of the things I think I love about the work that I get to do is helping pull out those 
those threads mm. of stories and, and consider how do they work together. And I think what's so cool about what you do today is you take these experiences, mm-hmm. um, even that you had in the corporate world, and you weave in these threads from your childhood and from the evolution of you into, into stepping into being a mindfulness coach that that is unique to only you. Only you can bring all these pieces together that are so, you know, the Indian born, the Catholic raised, the plant eating, the non-child bearing, the 20-year <laughs> corporate manager, woman in tech turned mindfulness coach. All those are threads that make you so uniquely you. And I think that's what's, yes. what's it's so wonderful to see that the painting that unfolds in, in your life. And I think that's just, it's really fascinating to me. Well, and, and to that point, I think, you know, part of, um, you know, the work that you and I have done, and, and, and that to me is, is integral for this discovery. Um, I don't know that, you know, I spent my whole life kind of looking at it this way. I think there have been, you know, um, you know, the, the work that we've done have, has really encouraged me and urged me and nudged me to pay attention to all the aspects of my life. Because I think when we separate things and, 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 and look at it as that's really not relevant to my life, um, I think that's where we start losing really valuable pieces because they're all part of, you know, right. what led to who I am today right. as well as what I do. And so I think that to your point about how you love weaving those things and, and encouraging us to do that, I think that there is such power in connecting these pieces because, um, and I know I've mentioned this to you personally, Cami, but I had lost that connection with, the kid that left India so many right. years ago. And, um, but that's such a solid connection to the life that I live today. And it's yeah. so important for us to, um, and, and that's part of the mindfulness work as well is to really look at what are all the aspects that are relevant to us and, and keep those um, in our awareness because it all, it, it affects how we think it affects how we behave um, and it's it's important to kind of know these things as we're not necessarily to figure out things psychologically speaking, but um, it's it's just to be aware. Right, right. And it's when you are helping your clients be aware. How how do you bring all of that best of you to the table so that you're really helping them through that that awareness? Because it's hard to be aware, right? It's it's hard mm. to stop and be aware. And I know that. In, in teaching mindfulness, what are some of the things that you help people tune into that, that awareness level? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, mindfulness, even as a definition, you know, what is mindfulness? Mm-hmm. It is simply paying attention to our present experience. So for example, you and I are chatting right now mm-hmm. and you know, I am aware that there are many things going on around my house. Um, there are a lot of roofers in our in our neighborhood, and <laughs> they can get pretty noisy. And so I'm aware that that's happening around me. Now, I can make a choice to pay attention to that, which would then take me away from my conversation with you. Right. Because I can't do both at the same time very well. And so when I'm working with clients, 
when we are practicing mindfulness, we're, we're doing it in a, in a couple of different ways. Um, the formal practice of mindfulness, as you may be aware of, is meditation. And so that's one way that we're learning to, you know, bring focus to an object of meditation. And generally speaking, with mindfulness meditation, you're focusing on your breath. And so, you know, that sounds like, well, okay, that sounds simple enough. Um, one that has practiced mindfulness meditation would know that's not <laughs> yeah, as simple, so simple as it sounds, right? Uh, right. You know, cause our minds are just going to do what they do, which is they, they wander and, and they take us places. And so bringing our attention back to the breath is one, you know, um, common way of, of helping clients just shifting their attention very intentionally to an object of, of focus. And so that's one way. The other way is the informal practice of mindfulness, which, you know, is what I just described with the example that I just used where I am talking with you right now, but there's a lot of things happening in my environment that I'm aware of, but I'm intentionally choosing to stay focused on this conversation. And knowing that, you know, if there was a safety issue outside, I would probably respond accordingly. But it's, it's being able to stay focused on your experience in front of you, but being aware of what's happening around you. And, and, and just as important, paying attention to how um, your internal experience right. is unfolding as well. So there's so many cues that we have from whether it's emotions that are coming up or whether it's physical sensations that we're experiencing. They all tell us story about something that we need to pay attention to. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I even, when I think of mindfulness, it's, I think about how short my attention span can be sometimes, right? It will might jump off, you know, off into another direction or, um, you know, it's always that, and that internal awareness of knowing, oh, my mind went somewhere else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I bring it back. And yeah, and what you're, you're describing, though, is it's how our minds work. And I think uh -huh. that's important for people to understand is there's nothing wrong with the fact that our minds do what they do. Oh, that's they so, just that's naturally so good wander. That's <laughs> really good to know. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's just what it does. Thoughts are just going to keep popping up. And um, the, the, the key being with the practice of mindfulness is do you want to be drawn away by that? Or do you want to stay focused where you are? And, and that's the key. And, and I'm very, very briefly, I'm going to share this because I love this study and, and I won't go into too much. No, it's good. In it, but it's good. Everybody's it's, going to love called, this. Yeah, it's called, um, it's, it's actually not called. It's, it's by two Harvard psychologists and their conclusion was the human mind is a wandering mind and a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. And, you know, again, like I said, the, it, is, it is normal for our minds to wander. And so that's just going to happen. And we just need to be aware of that. And what the study revealed, however, was that most of the time, most of human, most of human beings are actually doing something, but thinking about something completely different. And that what they were thinking about was a better indication of their happiness than what they were actually doing. And so I'm going to give you a second to think about that. <laughs> That's just think about the implication of the fact that if we are sitting doing activities in front of us, whether it's social activities or whether it's at work, but we're really not present to it. 
because we're thinking about something else and somewhere else that we'd rather be or something else we'd rather be doing. Right. And so how much of our life are we missing as a result of that? And more importantly, apparently it's a good indicator of whether we're happy or not. And so that's a very telling study on the mind, the mind wandering being normal, but also paying attention to how that affects right. our attitude and our, um, and our well-being as well. So that, that if we are bring our attention to be fully focused on where we're at right now in the conversation that we're in, the happiest, happy, happiness level is higher. Is that what you're saying? Potentially, yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Versus if we were talking to each other and thinking, you know what, I'd rather be in Hawaii right now. Right. Or right. something, you know, something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and this and this is totally a side note here, but I'll just toss it out here because I think it's so pertinent to mm-hmm. is the the technology um, of always having technology in our hands and how that can can impact <laughs> mindfulness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, and I think that's an excellent point in that we have I think today in our world so many distractions, whether it be you know our smartphones or our laptops or anything. There's just just input for us, for our brains to process that our brains are not designed to really take in that much. And so it becomes important to be able to, to, you know, discern what do you want to pay attention to and what do you want to let just, you know, slip away and not get focused on it. No, I'm glad you shared that. So I want to um, talk a little bit about transitions because, you know, I loved stories of transitions. <laughs> You've had some really big transitions in your life. And I want to make sure you share your story about leaving India where you were born 30 years ago and how your, your, your life has taken twists and turns along the way and particularly what time has taught you over, over all those twists and turns. So, you know, for me, um, I believe from the time I was a kid, I always knew that I wanted to come to the United States. Um, Obviously, as we mentioned, I grew up in India. I was born in India, but I always knew that I wanted to come to the U.S. And so when I was 19, I left India and I landed in Indianapolis to go to school. And at that time, like I didn't know a soul, not a single person. And even though, you know, our family had traveled a lot internationally because my dad worked for the UN while we were growing up. And so we knew what it was like to be in other countries, but coming to the U.S. on my own, um, there was a lot of unknown and, you know, potentially a lot of risk and, you know, just being and this even, even as I'm thinking of saying this, it seems uncomfortable, but like being a foreigner. Uh, that right. was really the reality at that time for me. And I hadn't grown up in, you know, the American culture. And so, um, so there were all these aspects when, when I left India. And what I also knew, though, is I, I knew that I had um, a really strong family support for me leaving and being here. So I knew if anything went wrong, <laughs> I knew they would be there to support me. So, right. so that was part of, you know, when I first left. Now, fast forward a few years from that point, and um, I was working at a job and it was in retail management. And um, I was going through a process of getting my immigration um, status changed. So I was on a work visa 
and I wanted to move into a permanent resident um, visa, which is status essentially, which is getting your green card. And so that way I could, you know, it was because I was going to live here and that was just the progression. And so everything, you know, was moving really positively. And truthfully, I was a little surprised because when you are trying to get um, your immigration status changed, you generally have to prove that you are not taking away a job from an American citizen, essentially. That's part of the process. Right. And so I was kind of surprised that, you know, being in a retail management, that I'd even be able to, you know, make that case. So the attorney I was working with was tremendous. And, and step by step, everything was just getting approved, you know, along the way. And then there was this one evening that um, my attorney you know, suggested that we meet and we review my case and the paperwork. And I said, of course, yeah, we'll do that. And, and, you know, we talked through everything and the way that evening ended, however, was he made an inappropriate ask of me of a sexual nature mm -hmm. and I did not comply, of course. Mm -hmm. And a little while after that incident, you know, I learned that um, my application had been rejected by, oh my gosh. The, uh, you know, INS. And, and, and I found myself in a situation where I was like, wow, I cannot legally stay in the U.S. And so, you know, that was, that was just like just a terrible situation to be in because this was my dream, right? I totally, totally. India to come here and this was going to be my life. And, and so, What a horrible experience again, to go through as this young yeah. girl – yeah, you know, with these dreams, with these goals, and yeah, to have this happen. Exactly. Yeah, and I and I was naive. I mean, I'll admit it was. And, and again, you know, was, I don't know, probably in my early twenties. But growing up in India, that's that's kind of there's a lot of things you don't learn. At least back then, it's not things you learn. And so, anyway, I again in this case, um, a lot of support from my family, and I, and I made some really great relationships with friends in Indianapolis and I decided to go back to school and this time because that was the option it was you know you either go back to India or you go back to school okay. and so it was almost like going back to square one in a sense and so it was something you know I hadn't planned to do and um, but at that point that was the choice and so that's the choice I made and this time I decided to go down the path of um, computer science, which was a totally new world for me. Up to that point, everything I had done was in the world of business, business administration, um, including my schooling back in India. And so computer science was just brand new, scary looking, you know, experience awaiting me. But, you know, here I was, this is, this is kind of the choice I had to make. And so, again, in this case, you know, a lot of uncertainty, risk, um, you know, just challenges waiting to happen. Like, that's what it felt like at the time. And let's move, like, really fast forward to recent years, right, Cami, when you and I met. And, you know, I was working in the corporate world and made a decision to start my own business, which is what I'm doing right now. And that, too, you know, was just a risky kind of scary situation right. and choice that, that I made. And again, with people that I had in my life, you and the community that you've built and my family, everybody's supporting me. Right. And so what 
you know, to, to answer your question about how, you know, these twists and turns of, you know, um, what they've taught me is I feel that the situations that um, have yielded the most, you know, uncertainty and risk and difficulty, those are the ones that have really transformed me in, in, in ways that I couldn't have imagined. And they've really catapulted me forward in life. Right. And so whether it's, you know, facing fear, whether it's, um, you know, being persistent about following, you know, and going after my dream or whether it's the support that I've had from a community from, from, from my, my whole life, I've had community around me just supporting me through everything. You know, those are the things that I feel when I look back, those are the things that, that, they taught me is, is just, you know, keep, it, it's okay to, um, to have fear. That's, that's a normal thing, but to move past that. And how and, do you move past probably, it? Yeah. What, what, what is it that you do yeah. to help move past fear? Because that's something that we all, we all deal with, right? And it, it yeah. is a good thing. I so agree with you. The more that we step into our fear, the, you know, the bigger the, the opportunity that comes from the other side of it this transition, mm -hmm. the, the growth and all those sorts of things. But what is it that you do when you are stepping into that fear and saying, you know what, I'm going to go here? Yeah, I think a couple of things. Um, and, and, and it's evolved over time, I think, but it, there is, there is a knowing that you have um, that if you tune into it's not something, no matter what anyone tells you, there is something that you always know. Mm -hmm. And I think tuning into that is, is a big part of getting past the fear. Um, and or not even past the fear, it's just like working your way into it and through it. And I think the other piece is, is being clear about um, what, what is your intention and what is motivating here? Being persistent, I think, mm -hmm. about um, not not stopping in, in the light of these obstacles that are in your way. So I think those are a couple of things that, you know, have always been um, the way that I've maneuvered my way through it. And more in more recent years, I feel that silence and quiet has, yes. have been a big piece of facing, um, facing fear. And, and what I mean by that is um, there is something that happens when you're quiet um, and you allow all the noise around you and, and even internally to just kind of settle a little bit and, and answers come up in a way that, that um, can't come up if there's a lot of noise around you. And, you know, I had, I had a client recently say something like this to me where he said um, he, he finds that, you know, granted we don't meditate to, you know, get answers, but he said that sometimes when he's meditating, out of nowhere, things just come up. Right. And, you know, brilliant ideas about how he should address something. But it's the same aspect of with fear of, of knowing that, wow, maybe this is the way I can handle it. Things just come up and surface in a way that they can't when there's just a lot of noise around us. Yeah, that, that completely makes sense. And um, I know even for myself, when I am sitting in quiet and sitting in, in meditation, um, without me thinking about it, things mm -hmm. pop in. 
right? It's like a word exactly. pops in or a yes. idea pops in. And it's like, it's not like I was exactly. like racking my brain on a question. It's like, no. it's just like a vision <laughs> right. almost pops in your, in your, in yeah. your being. And you're like, okay, this is something to pay attention to. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think something that a lot of folks would also relate to is, you know, it's very common for, um, for folks to be in the shower and get really brilliant ideas. Yes. There's some element of that happening there too. Like the whole world is not around you at that moment in time and, and things just like surface. And so, yeah, it's, it's the same concept of quiet and just being in, um, in a space that's, um, devoid of distraction. Yeah. You know, where I get some of my best ideas popping in like that is, um, out in the barn when I'm sweeping. So it's like the same sort of thing. It's like, Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. exactly. So you have talked uh, openly <laughs> about motherhood eluding you. Uh, and I know that's a, you know, that's a sensitive topic. Can you share your experience and how you think this similar experience affects women around the world? Yeah. Um, you know, and as I shared a little bit, um, you know, growing up in India, primarily, you know, I led a very traditional life that was Indian. I mean, there were parts that weren't traditional. My dad worked for the UN, so we got to travel and, you know, gather different perspectives. But mostly the way I grew up, um, I would say it was a traditional Indian life. And so, for example, um, I didn't have boyfriends growing up, you know, mm-hmm. we weren't allowed to, um, you know, <laughs> have relationships of that nature. I mean, it just wasn't done at that right. time. And, uh, and then, you know, as I said, I was in an all girls um, Catholic school. And so, you know, these are some of the things that were kind of influencing me at that time. And, and my past, as far as I could tell, was going to be very straightforward. You know, I finished school and then I get married and then I have children. And so it was, a, it was sort of what was set in my mind. And it, I don't know that, um, I don't know that anyone sat me down and said, Rita, this is how you're going to, to, you know, to, this is the path your life is going to follow, but it's what you pick up in your environment. And, and so that was what I felt was always going to happen for me. And that, and that final step was always going to be, I was going to be a mother. Right. And so what happened instead, however, was, you know, I didn't get married at um, the age of 25 and 26 is what's considered the ripe age for marriage in Indian culture. And so and really what starts happening is as you get older, your value almost starts dropping if you don't get married when you're around 25 or 26. And this is all, you know, within the the um, Indian culture. Well, I didn't get married when I was 25 or 26. And I was like, wow, the value starting to drop. And then, you know, I met my husband, Phil, who is a Caucasian. And so that was, you know, an unexpected turn in my life. And when we tried to have kids, we realized that that wasn't going to happen for us. And so I went into, you know, what I would call the best you know, words I can come up for it is an identity crisis because I felt that the one thing that I had trained myself for my whole life, it wasn't going to happen. And so it really came down to worth, you know, what was I worth if I couldn't do that one thing that I had set my mind or, you know, was kind of taught to plan for. Right. And so, 
you know, my feeling is that this is not an unusual occurrence for women around the world. And, and it's right. And it's, it's a question of both, you know, it's personal worth, I think is one piece of it where we're allowing others to define what our worth is. And, and I'm most definitely guilty of doing that, whether it's culturally, socially, you know, how we structure organizations, um, any of that is, 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 you know, how do we, how do we define personal worth is, is one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is, you know, almost not having uh, the freedom to make your own choices or feeling like you don't have the freedom to make your own choices. And that's very true, probably for many people, many women across the world. And so I think a, a lot of times what ends up happening is, you know, we spend our lives feeling less than what we are. And, you know, we do things that don't completely align with who we are. Right. And so I think for me, it was always about how that, that experience, you know, really taught me to explore who I was and not allow what the roles I play to define who I really was. You know, so we confuse what we are. For instance, I am a business owner. I am an aunt. I am, you know, and, and when I was in the corporate world, I was a director. Right. All of these are titles that have been assigned to me over, you know, the years. And the more I identify with it, the question becomes, am I losing some of who I really am? And that's so true. That. And, I, and I know even in my own journey, that was, you know, at one point that was a VP of marketing. And when that was gone, when I got laid off all those years ago, mm-hmm. I walked out of that feeling so lost. Like, who am I? Mm-hmm. That was, exactly. you know, that work of, of doing who are you um, right. outside the, the roles as you, as you describe here. And, and I, you know, really appreciate the story that you, you know, that tying it back to not having children and how you had to make that shift in your life mm-hmm. of recognizing that, right? Of recognizing mm-hmm. it is not who you are. Um, exactly. Yeah. 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 Because I think otherwise, you know, I've often thought about, you know, had I not been fortunate enough to have the experiences in my life that I did at that time, I could have looked at it as I was missing an integral part of life. Now, not to say that that isn't an integral part of life, you know, at the same time, if it isn't my experience, how does that completely negate my experience in life? And, and that to me is just not, I, I, I just can't look at it that way because it, it makes, you know, anyone's life meaningless if if we look at it as if we didn't have a certain experience then we've missed the boat in some right. some regard you know right. so right. no it, it, it's yeah. it's just changing that mindset on that correct exactly yes, yes. yes. okay um so you have been a woman in technology working for companies like motorola and gogo how have those experiences shaped you and, you know, and particularly the work that you do, knowing that, you know, you bring all of this wonderful wisdom and insight from all of your life experiences. But this, this thread of working mm-hmm. for companies in the tech space like this, 
is certainly shaping the work that you do today. So mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, a few aspects. And I think um, I, I've had the fortune of working in companies that seem to be on the, not even seem to be, they were on the cutting edge of innovation. You know, at Motorola, we used to talk about Bluetooth, you know, all those years ago. And to me at that time, it just sounded like, what in the world are you talking about? And today it's just a normal way of living. You know, Bluetooth is incorporated into every aspect of, of uh, how we function or with um, GoGo, you know, who thought that flying in the air, we'd have to be, we would be connected, um, you know, have internet connectivity. That was not something that I had thought about. And, and so I always had the, the fortune of being in companies that were always at this edge of making something new come to be that is so normal in how we live today. And so, and I also felt like as I went through these, these jobs and roles in these companies, it seemed to me that these roles were um, almost crafted exclusively for me. And, and what I mean by that is when you are at the edge of innovation and you're, you're, you're doing things that have not been done before, you do find that in companies there, there is a need to create um, new roles and new things to focus on. And, and it seemed to me that's where I always fell. And so what I, when I look back, I, I, I realized that this entrepreneurial aspect was alive for me in all my roles. You know, mm. it's always like building things from the ground up. Yes, like. yes. Uh-huh. And, you know, so that has totally influenced, you know, how I have made, you know, this, this continuous, um, um, what do you call it, this transition into this new, this new world that I'm operating in. And what it also taught me was, though, that um, it, it built my trust in myself because as I saw, you know, all these roles evolving, it, it also made it clear to me that it was not all known. No, no one had a formula and, and you had to figure it out. And so it, it encouraged me to, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It explored, you know, it encouraged me to explore and not to be fearful of that. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting how, yeah, like hindsight is 2020, but I just realized like those connections of building my own trust in myself and realizing that even though that there's bumps along the way, it's going to work out just fine. And so that's one aspect of it. I think the other aspect of it that has led into, um, you know, my current work is my growth as a leader, which, you know, was not um, something I would say was, uh, and I don't know that it is for anyone, truthfully, it's a hard, it's a hard transition to move from, you know, individual contributor in a company and then move into manager roles, and then you move into senior roles, and and then you're, you know, part of a senior leadership team, those are hard transitions for anyone. And I think the part that I felt was missing for me was, you know, there was a lot of training that I have been through in my, in my career and all of it was helpful. The part that I couldn't figure out was some of these internal dialogues that were happening along the way. And so, you know, simple examples of, um, things like 
me reacting to a certain person, you know, a, a certain person just getting under my skin and me not knowing how to, how to, how do I relate to this person in a way where I'm not driving myself nuts and I'm not driving everyone around me um, nuts as well. And so learning to bring mindfulness into that world was so critical for me personally as, a grow, as, as I grew into these leadership roles. And so it was a very natural transition for me to, to do the work that I'm doing because it was something I was struggling with myself. And I saw it around me as well, right? Right. And so I knew and I could support the need. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's those stories that we start telling ourselves over and over in our head. That person drives me crazy or this project exactly. is, you know, you know, you label it of some sort. Or, you know, so you start to tell exactly. those stories over and over again. How was it that you caught yourself, number one, in, in, in those stories that were going in your head? And what were some of the things that you d- did to help change the way from a more mindful perspective to mm-hmm. shift that, that, that circumstance for yourself? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the silence piece and the contemplative piece is going to come into, I think, every aspect of what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big piece of, you know, just learning to be quiet when things are, you know, there's a lot of chatter, whether in our brains or around us. Right. That's, that's a skill that I think needs to, um, that, and that's built over time. And I think and for me, that was a big piece. How do Go you ahead. teach your clients Sorry. to do that? Ah, so um, we go, go through it very slowly and gradually. So when I'm teaching someone to, um, you know, learn this skill, first of all, we're learning how to meditate. And so that starts with the very basics of, you know, how do you, what's your posture like? What, what are you going to do as you're sitting and meditating? And so those are, you know, and then as you're going through that practice, we're, we're building the amount of time that someone is actually practicing. So I might start with, you know, instructing someone to just sit for 30 seconds and just notice what happens in 30 seconds, because that's a relatively short time. Most of us can sit, right? And so, right. but then you're gradually extending that time so you're sitting for longer and longer and what you discover in that will change because it gives you the opportunity to notice what are these narratives, the narratives that you mentioned that we all have in our heads. You start giving space for those narratives to surface. And when you notice that, then you can actually make a choice about whether you want to believe the narrative or if you want to just drop the narrative. So I think, you know, that's, part of the process of when you're learning mindfulness is sitting still and being quiet and just having that space, number one. But then, you know, there's, there's also this misconception that mindfulness or meditation is just a passive, you know, make me feel good practice. And in reality, meditation is just such an active practice where when you are sitting the goal is not necessarily to feel better. I mean, it's sort of a byproduct of what happens, but the, the, the practice itself is, is teaching ourselves to be aware of what mental chatter is happening and being very intentional about shifting our attention to something that we think is more productive and it, something that serves us well. 
So that's kind of how the process works. And it works over many weeks. We work together for many weeks because this isn't something that you do for a day or um, even a week. And suddenly, you know, it's like a natural kind of practice, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. So it's something that, you know, you work on. And truthfully, if the practice is something you don't ever stop, you do it every single day. Um, and, And oftentimes people say, well, I can't remember and some oftentimes it's I don't have enough time and and really it's the 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 underlying motivation is what's really going to propel you to do it it's it's what do you want to shift um in your space and is what you're doing today really working for you and then if that's if the answer is no then that let that be you know the guiding kind of um reason why someone would actually practice mindfulness I'm not sure if I addressed the question that you just asked. Well, just I think now. you did a little we'll bit. Come back to it. Yeah, you yeah. started with. I mean, so this how you are helping people today in corporations is you first you're mm-hmm. teaching them to meditate, and mm-hmm. I think the next step of that is really tying that back to how do they apply that in the moment, in the heat of the moment, right? Correct. Of of what happens yeah. in within you know they're they're in having a conversation at work with somebody. And it's not flowing right, right? It's it's uh, yeah. the conversation isn't going well. Um, Correct. How do you help them take that next step, apply what they've learned in their meditation practice to real Perfect. moments? Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And so, you know, the the practice that the practice that we do when we're practicing meditation is. It, it's the foundational practice. And, and what I mean by that is you're doing that within, you know, a relatively controlled environment. For example, when you meditate, you're choosing a spot that's, you know, relatively free of distraction, as an example. Um, and you're sitting by yourself. You are not getting interrupted by things that are happening in your day. So it's a very intentional practice. When When you start doing that, you're also, you know, changing the neural circuits in your brain Mm -hmm. by training yourself to pay attention in a certain way. And you're paying attention to, for example, not just your thoughts, you're paying attention to, you know, are certain emotions coming up right now? Am I feeling, you know, discomfort in certain parts of my body, et cetera, et cetera. So you're paying attention to a lot of different aspects of your experience as you are um, practicing meditation. When you are done with your meditation and you go on into your normal life, you are bringing that exact same practice that you're able to recall what you practice in meditation in a real life situation. So if you're in a situation, as you described, where, you know, you're in a conversation, you're feeling like, okay, this isn't going well, those moments might be difficult to do the actual practice if you hadn't been meditating in the first place. Right. Because you don't have those circuits programmed in your brain. The neural pathways aren't connected the way that they are getting connected when you're actually practicing meditation. So the idea or the, one of the reasons why you are doing the meditation in the first place is you're training your mind so that when you are in moments of stress, you are able to recall those very, um, those very aspects that you practice when you're meditating in real life. So there's really no separation in terms of, I think that's a big piece of when you're practicing meditation, 
you are, it's not, I, it's not a separate thing from how you live your life. So it's very blended in terms of whether I'm doing a sitting meditation practice or if I'm talking to someone, it's the same aspects that I'm involving in, mm. in, that, in that experience. Yes. And ultimately what I'm doing is I'm, I'm present to my experience. I love that. that. I totally, yeah, yeah, I totally love that. And that's the work that you are teaching to executives and organizations right now. And why do you think that's so important in our world today? <laughs> I mean, some of the things that's we a loaded you know, question. talked about it. I know, right? It, it's, um, I mean, starting from what you and I were talking about before we got on the call, where we just talked about how busy things are, right? So the pace with which we are living today is probably the fastest, you know, ever known to man. Right. And so there's the pace, there is the input from both, you know, internal chatter, external sources, like we talked about with email and social media and just interactions with each other. And, you know, and that's maybe even in our, in our, in our world, right? But then you extend that outward and there are so many issues facing, you know, the larger world that are complex, they're troubling, and they affect all of us in, in ways that, you know, they might seem distant, right? So natural disasters, to scandal, to political divides, all of that, even if it's not happening in my house, it's, it's still part of my world. Yeah, exactly. and, and that's how most of us feel. And so the scope of um, what I would call, you know, almost like if, if there was this scope of uncertainty and unknown that each of us has to face, which is part of life anyway, I feel like that's widened tremendously. And so, you know, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of frustration. Um, everything feels so big today. And so not just in our immediate world, but in our extended world. And so mindfulness, you know, isn't intended to fix those problems directly, but what it can do and what it does do is it can change the relationship of how we think about these things, which in turn can lead to what are we going to do about it, right? So it propels action. It propels really thoughtful action, which I think is probably one of the key reasons why I feel it's so, so important right now in that we need leaders to really step up with, you know, just clarity and compassion and authenticity. And, and we need that so much today. And that's probably one of the primary reasons where I feel the mindfulness movement can really be of great value to, you know, our really the whole world at this Absolutely. moment in time. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's like the ripple effect of a single person um, yeah. moving in a much more intentional grounded space or moving from a much more intentional grounded space. Change yeah. the environments in which we are in every day. You know, it's mm -hmm. the ripple effect of that. And yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Oh, so good. Yeah. So, so good, Rita. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So what three pearls of wisdom can you leave our audience today? Not that you haven't given us enough, but um, <laughs> I got to close funny. with this, right? Because I think this study, is important. Study. Um, I think one of the things we touched on, which I, I think this is, this is so important, 
what you are is not who you are Mm. and to really remember that anywhere you go. Um, And then I think um, this idea of silence, I think that's another piece of, you know, and and this is, by the way, for me, just as, as, just as much as for anyone else is, you know, practice not filling the silence with sound, Mm. um, whether that's internal or external. You know, um, I think we underestimate the power of just intentionally being silent. Um, So that's probably another one. And I think another one that for me has been really um, important and it's, you know, it's part of this conversation, which has, has been really enjoyable for me to look back and to see that, you know, challenging experiences at the time can really um, turn into invaluable insight if we just take the time to, to pay attention to it and, and really see the value. Yes, I, I think that, you know, the universe tends to deliver some things that can be really shattering to us. And if we can look at that, that, that there's something to be learned from it. And um, it shapes where we're going in the future. I think it's so invaluable. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, Rita, thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this, and I knew I would. I've been looking forward to this interview for (laughs) some time now. I'm so excited about the work that you're putting out into the world, um, the companies you're working with, the executives that you're working with, and all of the great ripple effect that you can make changing how people are showing up in the world and and giving them an opportunity to choose differently um, from a a mindset perspective. So thank you. And thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you, Cammie. Thank you both for this conversation as well as, you know, all the different parts of this journey that I have so enjoyed sharing with you and thank you for your guidance and for all this wonderful work that you're doing for for our world awesome thank you so much let's go change the world huh (laughs) yeah exactly so there you go let's go change the world okay bye bye i hope you like this episode of extraordinary women radio If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGelner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.